As you're being seated, one of the things, if you've attended church here or any other place long enough that you know, is most sermons begin with hopefully a, a moving or gripping illustration. And that illustration is intended to draw you in and shed some light on what the sermon is going to be, what it is going to be about. Well, this morning I'm not going to do that. I'm going to start rather academically. So if you've got your, uh, uh, your journals, uh, your whatever you take notes on, or your Bible, I want to tell you, I want to show you how I go about trying to ascertain what Acts 3 is all about. And what I discovered as I began to study this and prepare for the sermon is this common thread, this theme that is woven throughout. And I want you to see this thread, this theme uh, this morning. It is quite powerful. Look at verse 13. Uh, uh, the man has been healed. Peter is preaching. And Peter says, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, here it is, glorified his servant Jesus. Underline that in your Bibles, in your journals, glorified his servant Jesus. Then look at verse 15. Uh, Peter keeps preaching, and you killed the author of life, whom God, there it is, raised from the dead. So we've got glorified his servant Jesus raised from the dead in verse 15. Go to verse 22. Check out verse 22. Peter still preaching says, Moses said, the Lord God will what? Raise up for you. So you're seeing a theme that is woven throughout this passage. God glorified, raised up, raised up. Look at verse 26. God having what? Raised up his servant. So, so what we see is this theme that is woven throughout Acts 3. Now, there is no scripture that is accidental. It is the word of God on purpose for a purpose. And if that is the case, why do we have this theme of glorified, of raised up? So let me ask you a question, class. And so are you ready with me this morning? What direction do all of these statements point to? Down or up? Up. They're all, that was so weak. All right, so, you, so, so come on now. Do they point to down or up? That's much better. All right. So they all point to up. Now, what happens at the beginning of Acts 3? At the beginning of Acts 3, Peter and John going into the temple like they always did, right? They're still following the Jewish custom to pray three times a day. They're going into the temple at the hour of prayer. And when they do, they see a man lying there. That man, we discover later, is 40 years old. That man, we know, has been lame since birth. That means, most likely, he has been lying there for 20, 25 years. Somebody in his family brings him, lays him down, and he begs for money. What does God do to this man? He raises him where? Yeah. He raises that man up. It is so fitting that Peter, this 
fisherman turned amazing communicator is going to take a miracle where God took a 25 plus year beggar at the temple and raised him how? And talk about how God can raise anybody in his audience and I would say anybody in this room how? Uh, that's what he does. So we could just go home now and, and beat the Presbyterians to, to lunch. Right? That's the sermon. We can just do it. But we're not going to do that. But what we're going to talk about is what happens when Jesus is glorified. Because that's what this is all about. Number one, Jesus was glorified to make the unacceptable accepted. This lame man is lying at the most ironic gate. It's the gate called Beautiful. So of all the gates, this one was different than the rest. Now, you and I think gate, we usually think small. you got, you got to think large here. This gate was so large and so heavy because the others made of wood and overlaid with, so ironic, silver and gold. This one not. This gate called Beautiful is made of bronze. So it was Gorgeous gate made of bronze so heavy that at night it took 20 men to close it. That's the gate we're talking about. But the irony of it is that in front of the beautiful gate is a pitiful sight. It is a man begging for money. Now, if this happens here, there are multiple responses to it. So you can't think of it as an American in 2020. The Jews believed there were three pillars of their faith. The law, that would be the Old Testament, worship, going into the temple, and charity. This was not offensive to Peter and John. This was not offensive to other people going into the temple there was no welfare system to take care of that man. He begged, and that's how he lived. But Peter directed his gaze at him and said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. All right, so just like the gate behind him had no silver or gold, Peter also had no silver or gold, but he says, what I have, I give you. A couple weeks ago, we shared our annual report, and in that report, we talked about giving away 62,000 pounds of food, helping 187 families to turn their power back on or keep it on, providing Christmas for over 100 kids, many things. You can go to our website, look at that report, and God worked through you to do some pretty remarkable things. But I want to remind you and me this morning that if we were to provide a lot of food, if we were to provide a lot of assistance to families who demonstrate real need, if we were to step into the middle of the muck and mire and the difficulty of our community and do a lot of work like that, but never share the gospel, shame on us. 
You see, you can start a nonprofit and feed people. You can start a nonprofit and keep the power on. But God has called the church to share the gospel. That's why in the first quarter, we're gauging, how do we do with that? Hopefully, you're letting us know how you're doing. We're calling it 300 Gospel Conversations. So here's where we are so far. All right, 65. So 65 conversations, good work and good for you. But I must say to you that that is the best news you could ever share. Pole Hill, in his great commentary on uh, access, some things are more precious than silver or gold. And indeed, what Peter had to share. Notice how he does it. In the name of Jesus. Now, names don't mean near what they used to. Right, we, we get named names for whatever reason, grandma, grandpa, whatever it may be, we get named. But, but names in Jesus' day carried significance and authority. I think we probably identify with that concept more by branding than we do by people's personal names. For example, if I say Amazon, we think what? It'll get to you quickly, Right? Quick shipping, if you think if you order something on Amazon, if you have Prime, it's going to get to you in a couple of days. If you think Chick-fil-A, you think consistent, pretty quick service. Uh, you're just going to go there, that's going to be consistent. If you think UPS, you think Brown delivers, right? They're going to bring to you, to your place, what you need. But in that day, Brandon wasn't it, it was personal names. To invoke the name of Jesus, then, is to call upon his authority and power. Notice what the man does. And leaping, he stood up and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. Now, commentators vary on this, but I want to share. You'll have to land where you land. I want to go and read from Leviticus, uh, chapter 21. I'll read verses 17 and 18. This is written, uh, Moses is talking to Aaron, who is the high priest, and it says this, Speak to Aaron, saying, None of your offspring throughout their generations who has a blemish may approach to offer the bread of his God. For no one who has a blemish shall draw near a man blind or lame, or one who has a mutilated face or a limb too long. So some commentators say, based on these prohibitions, this was for the priestly class, but based on these prohibitions, it is likely that this lame man had never gone past that gate. He had looked in but couldn't go in. He had not only received physical healing, but had found spiritual acceptance as well. He runs into the temple. This word leaping, it requires attention here. It is a rare word, but it occurs in Isaiah 35. This man is leaping 
Listen to Isaiah 35. The wilderness and the dry land shall be glad. The desert shall rejoice and blossom like the crocus. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the majesty of Carmel and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. And here we go. When he comes to save then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame man leap like a deer. Let me pause there. That word leap from Isaiah 35, Luke who wrote Acts used the exact word. This is exactly a fulfillment of that prophecy. Wow. Now here's what I want to give you comfort with. I, I want to say to you this morning that if that very unique prophecy was fulfilled and Luke grabs the word that ties the two together like that, let's read the rest of Isaiah 35 through verse 7. For waters break forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The burning sand shall become a pool and the thirsty ground springs of water. In the haunt of jackals where they lie down, the grass shall become reeds and rushes. That has yet to happen. Deserts are still deserts. Wastelands are still wastelands. That has yet to be. But the lame man has been healed. What should that say to you this morning? If you believe God, if you trust his word, and if you believe that that lame man was healed that day, then you can believe one day this world will be completely restored. If you believe one promise, why not believe the next? Yesterday, when Bo Cripps called to say that his wife of many years had gone to be with the Lord, Beth, an accomplished woman, did some remarkable things, very bright, worked in the oil industry for a time, a Christian counselor for a time, but Alzheimer's just grabbed her life from her. My last visit with her, I knew it wasn't Beth that I knew. It wasn't. Do you know what? Beth is better than she's ever been. She's better than she's ever been. Bo and I talked for just a few moments on the phone. There is a hope for Bo in a moment like that. Yesterday when I walked into the hospital and visited Candy and then went to visit Dean. Dean who is a severe diabetic whose foot is questionable. 
and then Hope, who's battled cancer since 2012. There's coming a day, there's coming a day when Hope will no longer battle cancer, when Candy will no longer battle her heart issues, when Dean will no longer wonder about his foot and and the dialysis he does multiple times a week. There's coming a day when all of that, if you believe, please hear me, if you truly believe that God raised up that man when Peter spoke to him, then you must intellectually believe that God is going to make all things new. Amen? You cannot believe one without believing the other. You either discount this one so that you can discount that one, or you believe this one so that you can believe that one. Wow. Jesus was glorified to make the unaccepted uh, unacceptable uh, accepted. Secondly, Jesus was glorified to make the unforgivable forgiven. So the scene moves out, right? Everybody knows this guy's been lying there for 25 years at least, maybe longer. Now he's running, leaping, walking. He's praising God. So it moves out to Solomon's portico. What, what did that look like? Look at this picture. This was an amazing place, right? So this is a, a rendering of, of, of what it would have looked like. There's another picture kind of looking down. That's where Peter goes to preach. So Peter's like, this is an opportunity to preach. I'm going to. And he says, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us? I love it. Why are you staring as though by our own power of piety we have made him walk? Peter said, we didn't do this. We didn't do this. Here it is. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You killed the author of life. What a line. You killed the author of life. Peter, this rough and tumble fisherman, brilliant here with his words, whom God raised from the dead. He says, to this we are witnesses. I've summarized Peter's beginning of his sermon in three statements you'll see on the screen. You may want to jot them down. Peter says, God glorified whom you crucified. God glorified whom you crucified. Secondly, God approved whom you denied. He says, you denied the righteous and holy one. He was righteous and holy. God approved whom you denied. And third, God raised whom you killed. What a paradox. God raised whom you killed. Peter doesn't pull any punches out there at Solomon's portico, does he? He's, he's shooting straight. They spared the life of one who took life. They let a murderer go. 
and took the life of the one who gave life. Wow. They said, give us Barabbas, a murderer, and kill Jesus, the author of life. They spared the life of one who took life and took the life of the one who gave life. Peter goes on to say, and by his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know, and the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So Peter calls him out. It's strong. You killed Jesus. But verse 17 is unreal. What Peter says next, if you've never heard the story, you never read it, is shocking. Look at verse 17. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in what? Ignorance. What? Did they? Did they not know what they were doing? Did they act in ignorance? What did Jesus pray from the cross? Father, forgive them for they what? Yeah. Peter, Peter says, I know you acted in ignorance. You didn't know he was the righteous and holy one when you killed him. It was the worst case of mistaken identity in the history of humankind. You acted in ignorance, as also did your rulers, but what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ, I love that, the, the, the sweetness of that little possessive pronoun, his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. In other words, you acted in ignorance, God acted in knowledge. He does that a lot, doesn't he? Aren't you glad? If you've ever parented kids, you know that you will act in knowledge a lot when they act in ignorance. It's part of parenting. So does God. So what do you do? What do you do if, if you are the ones who yell, crucify him? What if you're standing in Solomon's porch and you hear that and you know that just, just a few weeks earlier you were in an angry mob yelling crucify the man who raised this man from the dead or, or from, raised this man to walk what do you do notice what Peter says to do you repent repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out God is willing to forgive the very ones who ordered the execution of Jesus. And some of you think he can't or won't forgive you. Some of you think that what you've done is too much, it's too hard. Do you think it's possible that God is more gracious than we are? Do you think that it is possible that God is more forgiving than you and I are? 
Do you think it is possible that God is able to forgive uh, things that you and I would never? Perhaps you saw the news. I think it was last October. The, the female cop in Dallas who, going to her apartment, went to another and shot and killed a young man, in her words, thinking he was an intruder. He was a fine young man. He was a worship leader in his church. He died. She went to trial and was found guilty. And what sadly should have been on the news more but wasn't was that man's brother when it came time to talk as the brother of the man who had been killed. Look at what he had to say.
judge later handed down the sentence to that that woman. And she too clearly moved with Bible in hand stepped down from her bench walked over to her and said can I hug you and said to her you will do well to read what's in these pages what that man said was if you're sorry it's a key phrase That's what Peter says. Repent and turn back. What is repentance? It is an attitude that leads to an action. In other words, change your mind and change your ways. If you've never changed your ways, you've never changed your mind, you haven't repented. Why? Peter says that your sins may be blotted out. Obliterated. What sins? Crucify him. No, strike that from the record. Don't consider that ever to come out of his lips. No, no, God is saying, bring the ones in who yelled, crucify my son. Bring them in, I forgive them. Wow. And you think that whatever it is you've done, is too hard, too much, too deep, too painful, that God in his grace cannot look at you. Repent. Oh, repent. Turn back. Finally and quickly, Jesus was glorified to make the impossible possible. Look at this, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. That he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all things, all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. We're back in Isaiah 35. Right at the end of Isaiah 35, all things are being restored. Deserts are becoming streams. So this is already but not yet. Already there are times of refreshing. Worship ought to be that. This word restoring, though, I have to hone in on because it's a technical word. Well, let me deal with refreshing. Refreshing literally means a cooling breeze. It's the cooling that comes from a cool breeze. It's hard to imagine needing that today. Uh, What is restoration? It's a technical word used only here in the Bible. 
So what does it mean then? Here's its meaning. I love this. One day, there will be one ruler, Jesus. Order will be restored. And there will be one Father God. Relationship will be restored. Can I say to you, as in our culture, country, world, as people increasingly feel and are orphaned, either by parents who don't care or parents who can't. That when you come to Jesus, God becomes your father. And you're in the family for good. And one day, we will be, I do not say this lightly, one big This is a perfect picture of the perfect state before the fall. Yesterday, Wendy and I made the infamous trip to Ikea. And we bought a bookshelf. And I got it home last night to Asheville and then back. So, I don't know how long it should have taken, but it wasn't however long it took us. We assembled it. She, she used the instructions. I did the work. and There were these two pieces that we kept going back and forth on, and I would look, and she'd look, and eh. Well, I'll tell you this. If you have to use additional screws and make new holes, you went wrong. <laughs> Just somewhere. So we take it upstairs, and she looks at it, and she says, you know, this bottom shelf ain't going in. Like, what do you mean? She said, the holes that are in that ought to be down here. I said, you know, honey, if I throw it over the balcony, it'll go in. <laughs> it will. And so I'm thinking uh, I want to cuss on Saturday and preach on Sunday, and there's something weird about that. <laughs> so I shouldn't. So guess what we had to do? We had to take it apart till step two. Yeah, we made the mistake at step two. So we start taking it apart to step two. Then we had to reassemble it all the way back to get it fixed. Can I say something to you this morning? One day God will fix it all. And when you see the world around you, I can't get over that. Abuse, neglect, death, sickness, separation. I'll fix it all. Do you believe that? Do you? He'll, he'll fix it all. There will be one ruler, Jesus. Order will be, be restored. There will be one Father, God. Relationship will be restored. You say, what do I do? I just want to remind you that Jesus was made unacceptable so that you would be accepted. Jesus took on your unforgivable sins so that you would be forgiven. And Jesus faced the impossible so that you could live a life of possibility. Repent. 
Repent, therefore. Ask God to change your attitude. Turn back. Ask God to change your ways. So after this service, two things happen. They're both very important. One more important than the other. The lesser important is we take chairs down on the side to get ready for tonight. We have to have your help with that. The most important is that there is a room right there that we've designated as a space to pray and talk. There are folks ready to join you. If you need to repent today, don't leave until you have. Let's pray. Father, to think that you spoke this into existence with the word and you will restore it, my one. And that if you can raise the lame man to walk and you can raise up people in this room from so much sin, me too, that one day and for some reason today, Jesus, you've let me deep in my heart see that. One day, you'll wipe away every tear. You will make all things new. And there will be no more death, nor sin, no divorce, nor abuse, no sickness. And between now and then, there are moments like this where you're so close that I wonder if we can at times hear the shuffle of your sandal feet as you walk among us. That you come in and you refresh us. And it's like a cool breeze on a hot summer day. And when you do, our eyes are lifted. Our spirits are raised. Jesus, just like you were raised up, just like the lame man was raised up, we are too. Thank you for these moments. I am so much better having been in this room today. Thank you. We love you, Jesus.